Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode from The Embellished Pod. An opportunity for me to ramble about whiskey or something for a few moments. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. Hopefully I can be found on any podcasting platform that exists. And if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com. I'll get that taken care of. You can also find video versions of this podcast on YouTube. You can find all of my links on Instagram at embellishpod or TikTok with the same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. It's also a place to pick up these links, episodes, details, and more. All right. So this afternoon, um, I have David joining me and I'm going to give him an opportunity to introduce himself and then we'll hop into some questions. So David, if you would take just a, uh, you know, a minute or two and kind of tell us who you are. Well, thanks for having me, John. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, it's an honor to be here. Uh, my name is David Thomas Tao. I uh, was born in Louisville, raised in Bardstown, primarily live in Brooklyn, New York now. So still a long way from, from home in many ways. Uh, I'm a media entrepreneur, uh, television and movie producer and spirits reviewer and writer. So um, I'm probably best known for co-founding a, a media company called Bar Bend, uh, which is actually about strength training and strength sports, not about bar being in a in a bar and, and drinking hilariously enough um built that up sold that uh earlier this year still actually involved pretty heavily with the brand uh but not ceo anymore and uh in addition i am a, a spirits reviewer and writer so i do a lot of writing for places like vine pair drink hacker i'm actually vine pair's primary american whiskey reviewer um and and writer so a lot of fun there and then i produce movies and television as well some of that i can talk about on this podcast some of it I cannot talk about on this podcast until some things uh, hit wide release later this year. Obviously, with uh, the writers' strike, which just recently finished, and the SAG after strike still going on, I have to be a little bit, a little bit careful there, and a little bit cognizant of, um, of you know, being in solidarity with those folks. Um, and yeah, still live in Brooklyn. Um, I feel like I'm at a, a really fun point in life, having sold a company earlier this year and and uh, exploring a lot of passions and having a great community uh, both here and back home in Kentucky and 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 really um, more and more around the world through the spirits community, which for me is is by far the best part. The uh, drinks are fine, the people are great. So that's that's my elevator pitch. <laughs> All right. So you're you're a you're a kid that's from what can only be considered as rural Kentucky. Um, and, you know, you, you have elevated yourself going through Harvard and ending up ultimately in New York City. Um, how how does that happen? Right. Because, you know, I thought about this on the way home from dropping my kids off at school this morning. I've, I live in rural Kentucky as well. And, you know, you're just as likely to see, you know, uh, cows on the side of the road and a deer stopping your car here as you are uh, in Bardstown. And you've gone from one end of the spectrum to the maybe the opposite. And it's not exactly the opposite, but it's pretty dang close. It, it's funny. I, I, I got to tell a little story. I, I um, my partner who I've been with for for a number of years now, uh, the first time I took her to Bardstown, um, you know, we got there. I kind of warned her. I was like, hey, it's it's pretty it's it's pretty rural in some ways. It's grown a lot. But, you know, <laughs> and we get there, and we're walking around downtown and I go, hey, you know what, Jamie, <clears throat> I was wrong. You know, maybe maybe I undersold this. This place has come a long way and there's, there's some stuff going on here. So, you know, I'm so sorry. I kind of, I kind of sold it as being a bit of the backwoods. And just as I said that a, uh, a horse-drawn carriage pulled up to the stoplight and it wasn't the horse-drawn carriage that tourists can hire. It was just someone getting around town in a horse-drawn carriage, just like pulled up to the stoplight and the horse knew to stop because the light was red. I, I thought horses were colorblind. I don't even know how it knew. Um, and I thought that was really funny. I was like, Oh, actually we are, 
We are in rural Kentucky. Okay. Um, <laughs> as far as how it happened, I mean, thank you for asking that, John. I was on a podcast recently and I was joking about Forrest Gump syndrome, where you just kind of say yes to a bunch of stuff and you you end up going to a lot of weird places that you didn't expect. Mm -hmm. That's what I feel, especially in recent memory. I um, have found myself in a lot of cool places interacting with a lot of cool folks and types of folks who I, I never thought I would. And I feel really lucky because of that. So, <clears throat> you know, I definitely didn't, I've, I'm, I've never really had much of a game plan in life, which sounds really bad. And my therapist um, admonishes me for that sometimes, but I, I'm pretty good at saying yes to things. And uh, I feel very lucky to have been able to capitalize on some opportunities. So, you know, I went to boarding school for high school um, because I, I wanted some more educational opportunities. I wanted to be pushed and I didn't think, what was in Bardstown was really challenging me enough. And then I, I was lucky to, you know, when I applied to colleges, lucky to get into my first choice, fortunate. I mean, college applications are, you know, it's, it's, it's a coin flip. Mm -hmm. you know, part of my friends, it, it's a shit show. You know, it's not a real, um, <clears throat> it's, it's not a real mechanism to determine who's worthy of anything, but you know, I, I, I wanted to explore a new part of the country. And, and for me, uh, Harvard, which is, you know, outside of Boston, Massachusetts seemed cool. That's a big reason I applied there. Obviously it's a big name, but I was like, yeah, I've never really been to New England. That seems like a cool place to spend four years of my life. A little colder than I imagined. I should have done my research. Uh, that's how it turned out. And then moving to New York after, um, I will be honest. I've always, I'd always wanted to live in New York. I read, um, you know, books, articles, watch movies and, and featured New York. And I knew that I wanted to spend part of my life here from a very young age. And so getting the opportunity to do that right out of college, I was like, yeah, sure. Let's jump at it. Let's do it. So um, very good at saying yes to things. I should probably get better at saying no to things, um, but hasn't led me too far astray. Right. And, and, it, and it feels like at least through the research that I did is maybe you didn't have a game plan, but you were very adamant about acquiring skills along the way that would help you no matter what, whether it be through education, through personal experience, through uh, what you've done. Like you, you seem very aware of of acquiring the skills you need. You know, like even in this interview, you, you're far more personable than a lot of people are that aren't necessarily used to this. You, you use you know, use my name regularly and you thank people for asking questions. Um, and, you know, you, you, you kind of have a, I think you had a, a mantra of, you know, ask yourself a question before you ask someone else that. And so hmm. there's a series of skills that are built along the way. Um, growing up in rural Kentucky as well, at least in the 80s, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little older than you, just a little bit. Um, you know, there's this distinct perception that we derive about what New York is through video, mm -hmm. through news, through whatever else. Um, but when you actually show up, I guess, maybe what was the thing that maybe struck you as surprising? And, and it may have been you know, a, bit, a little bit slower of a change for you because you went from rural Kentucky to uh, moderately decent sized Tennessee to Boston to New York. But like, what's the thing? Did you have like a, a preconceived notion that got immediately you know, kind of dashed or was something confirmed or? Yeah, great question. New York is a lot friendlier than I thought it would be. Uh, people in New York are, we're a bunch of weirdos, right? New York attracts so many people who are into niche things. And I say weirdos lovingly, right? Mm -hmm. New York is built around a, a, all these subsets of communities. It's so big and it attracts people who are interested in so many things, no matter what there's a community for, like you can find it. If you're interested in it, you can find it here. Like I accidentally ended up at a taxidermy event a few years ago in New York, like completely didn't mean to was like at the wrong place, basically. 
And I was like, oh, there's like a thriving community for people who do taxidermy in their apartments. Like, that's interesting. You can then apply that to whiskey. You can apply that to, you know, part of my career for fitness. And finding those communities is a great way to make friends and make connections. Like, New York is not the kind of place where you sit next to someone on the subway and you strike up a conversation and that's your new best friend. In fact, like, don't talk to people on the subway. That's kind of like the unwritten rule. But it is a place where people really do work to explore their passions. Uh, having hobbies here is not a bad thing. I think growing up sometimes it was like uh, in Kentucky, I felt at least the people who were around me that expressing yourself was a little bit uncouth sometimes. Um, exploring passions, if it, if, the, if it wasn't whiskey, was a little bit mm -hmm. um, frowned upon. You kind of had to get in, in line with everyone else. But in New York, people aren't afraid to let their freak flags fly. And because of that, they're very welcoming to others who want to explore different realms of self-expression, be it through hobbies, be it through art, different interests, sports, athletics, you name it, uh, food. That's one thing I love about New York. So if you can find those communities, oftentimes they're super welcoming. And and for me, that's made New York just such a friendly place. And honestly, probably the friendliest place I've ever lived, which is saying something because the South has this reputation for being very friendly. Not that it isn't, uh, but I think there is a desire in New York to form deep connections over shared interests. And I absolutely love that. Yeah, it in the South. I mean, and I and I like to call Kentucky the pseudo South because it's not completely yeah, the so. South, but it's sort of the South. You know, it's it's a gradient when you start from the top of the state and work your way to the bottom of the state. Um, it gets more Southern as you go, but um, South is very friendly to people of a like mind. But as soon as you start stepping outside of having different interests and different hobbies, things get a little bit uh, more confusing. And I think it's softened a little bit over the years as the world has become flat and we have access to other people who have similar interests to the internet. Um, it's a little bit easier, um, but it, it, it is an interesting thing. And this is, you know, something that I kind of, uh, was my corollary, corollary experiences. You know, if you, you go to a place like New York, um, if you move four miles north of where you are right now, Likely, it's a completely different community. You're not going to see anybody. You can rebuild yourself anytime you want to. You can find access to any community that you want to be a part of um, almost without any sort of uh, restriction there. Um, and you seem like you've kind of entered into multiple different communities, whether it be whiskey or fitness or um, theater, voice acting, all of these other things. Um, you have some some credits to your name in in the voice acting realm or not necessarily just voice acting just acting producing a whole host of things um and you said you can talk a little bit about that how how do you were you looking for this or did it just happen because of where you were or was it because of your interests in theater at a younger age yeah i think i definitely had some theater interests at a younger age in high school i was really into into theater we were talking a little bit before we started recording about speech and debate and forensics and I think actually Kentucky is a really great place to grow up if you're into that sort of thing. Um, there are a lot of programs stemming out of WKU, Western Kentucky University, and other places that make that really accessible. So I've always been interested in performance and, and uh, visual expressions of, of, of art, if you will. Um, for me, uh, getting involved in play production in New York, which has, was about 10 years ago, was just me saying yes to some opportunities. And that was a really great, fulfilling series of experiences. Uh, also very challenging uh, because as a play producer in New York City, I was really good at losing money, which uh, is not sustainable. So that's why that is not my uh, my day job. 
And then <clears throat> moving into the voice acting realm was something that I thought would be fun, something that a lot of friends encouraged me to do uh, enough to where I was like, cool, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll start exploring this in a, in a focused way. Uh, had some friends who were actually audio engineers who who encouraged me there. And then more recently have moved uh, into TV and, and film production. Um, and I, I, my hope is, you know, as much as I don't necessarily have a plan, my hope is that if we talk a year from now, I'll be able to say a lot more about that with a lot more experience and a lot more conviction. But right now, I'm I'm still very much in the learning phase. And I've had some great opportunities to get involved with some projects, again, some of which I can talk about, some of which I can't, um, to get involved with some some really fantastic projects from people I, I truly admire and have looked up to for a long time. And that's been really cool. Um, uh, I think that heading into 2024, figuring out how to be a little bit more discriminating as to which projects I want to get involved with and how I want to focus on helping them is going to be a real challenge because I need to figure out where my skill sets lie in that realm. Like, where can I bring value and, and where am I not really going to be able to bring a lot of value? Um, that's something that I am wrestling with right now. Uh, mm -hmm. Good problem to have. Good thing to keep you up at night, right? If you're thinking about like, well, which movies are we going to do? You know, um, but that's been a real joy and a real learning experience. And I'm still very much, I think, finding my sea legs on that. Mm hmm. And, and you talk about a lot in, in a lot of the other podcasts and uh, that you've been on about kind of being the best at a thing, right? So, you know, with Barbend, you know, were y'all being, were you in a position to be the best at the thing you were doing or do you need to hire somebody else to do that? And it sounds like, you know, like the rest of us learning to say no or not now is, is incredibly difficult to do, especially when you have a lot of things in front of you. Um, so what kind of bringing things back into the Kentucky lens um, you know, you've, you've been in, in and around, um, whiskey, bourbon, whatever you want to, um, kind of name it, um, since, you know, seven, you know, you, you did the tour where you put your hand in the mash and, yeah. um, you know, I've thought about that moment a lot in my life, you know, because for every bottle that that particular producer makes, there's some number of people's hands that have been in the mash that you're purchasing, which I know through distillation, it gets rid of germs, but it's, it's called terroir, you know, uh, terroir in Kentucky. Exactly. We just call yeah. That, yeah. But, but but I I worry about some people's you know personal sanitation and like how clean was their hand before it went in, um I, it's just a weird thing you think about from time to time. Regardless, what what brought you back into this? Because you 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 know you go through Harvard, you build up Barbin, you're incredibly um, important within the the physical fitness community, and then you're you're starting to to do this thing which might even be opposed to physical fitness because you're effectively consuming poison you know small yeah, quantities yeah. of poison over time yeah, small, sometimes, so like, what sometimes brings moderate you back quantities of poison if yeah. you're not careful right i will say that uh we were talking about skills earlier and i never thought drinking whiskey could be a skill but it is sure something it is something i sure have worked on for a number of years so i'm glad it finally mm -hmm. paid off i'm glad we can call it a skill these days uh i get paid to drink whiskey now i mean who would have thunk uh, i feel like mm -hmm. I, I, I like to call up, I like to call my mom occasionally and just remind her that I do get paid for that. So parents' predictions aren't always correct. Um, mm -hmm. But in all seriousness, I've always had a connection to whiskey because I grew up around it. Not only did I grow up in Bardstown, I grew right up right off Distillers Row. I mean, you can, I grew up on Second Street, Distillers Row is, is third, you know, and I grew up around that. Um, went to middle school with a lot of, master distillers right now and some head distillers uh mm -hmm. if you want to do i'm not going to name names but it's it's pretty easy yeah. to suss out you know grew up with those people they were they were my friends we were in boy scouts together 
And it, it was it was Bardstown back then, even more than it is today. Uh, it, it was it was everything. It was all consuming. I mean, Bardstown, my playground smelled like the sour mash from Barton because it was right across the street. So I've always had an interest. But to be perfectly honest with you, John, for the first few years I lived in New York, I didn't like telling people I was from Kentucky. People had mm -hmm. preconceived notions as to what that meant. They had stereotypes, right? And occasionally, I, I can't say they were necessarily wrong because it was based off of things. You know, it was based off yep. of stuff they'd heard in the news, based off interactions they'd had. I met a few people who had been to Kentucky decades ago and they hadn't had great experiences. They had felt like they weren't welcome. And, I, I, you know, I'm a proud Kentuckian, but that that really did hurt me. And, and so I kind of hid that light under a bushel for a while. I'm not proud of that. I'm not proud of the fact that I um, wasn't really forthcoming about that. But with the bourbon boom and the increase in whiskey tourism, I think people started to see Kentucky in a different light. And they started to have real positive experiences there, right? They started going there to visit distilleries. A lot of folks would say they'd go there with a with a mom or a dad <clears throat> or a grandparent, you know, who had never had the opportunity to go to Jim Beam, but had been drink, drinking Jim Beam for their entire life. And, and that was really mm -hmm. cool. And people started seeing whiskey as a way to connect with folks. And that was probably around 2015, 2016. And I realized I didn't have to hide that part of myself, right? I was born and raised in Kentucky, um, have lived outside the state for a while, but it is it is very much a, part, a huge part of my identity. And being able to own that a little bit was really freeing, and whiskey was always a part of that. So as my career progressed in media, and as I made more connections in the bourbon community, and as I started... Re using that as a, as a lens to reconnect or a mechanism to reconnect with home and spending more time back in Bardstown, um, I realized it was it was okay to embrace that. And so I have been doing stuff in the whiskey industry, I think, for a little bit longer than people might expect based on just the bylines that they see for my reviews. Um, I've been advising, I've been investing in the spirit space. I've been advising venture capitalists in the spirit space, space for a little bit. And then when I actually had the opportunity to start doing writing and people started approaching me with those opportunities, it became easier to say yes, right? It became a way for me to kind of reconnect with that part of myself and what I grew up around. I joke that being from Bardstown is a bit of a cheat code in the spirit space. People kind of right. automatically take your palate. You're an expert. Like, yeah, absolutely. You're an expert. Yeah. Growing up in Bardstown, it doesn't, doesn't mean I'm, doesn't mean I have like a good palate or that I can write, but people hear that and they're like, Will you will you review this for us? Will you write for my site? I'm like, based on what qualifications? Like, I just grew up there. But <laughs> hey, you know what? I never thought being from Bargetown would be anywhere close to a superpower. Uh, mm -hmm. If it is in the spirit space, let's take advantage of that. <laughs> let's right. do it. <laughs> I mean, it may open the door, but you're going to keep it open with the content you produce. And um, in that vein, back in July, you wrote an article about um, Bardstown's fight to remain the bourbon capital of the world. And I, I really enjoy this article for a couple of reasons is I was at an event right before the, the Kentucky Bourbon Festival where I first heard the term the urban bourbon capital of the world. Um, and I immediately had this thought in my brain like, OK, so this makes sense for for Louisville proper to kind of adopt that because they are quickly doing that. But what does this mean for Bardstown? Like, you know, is, is it going to supplant? And you have a lot of people that are saying, you know, we should pull the Kentucky Bourbon Festival to Louisville because of accommodations. And it's hard to find a hotel room or a place to stay when you're wanting to come down for the festival. Um, it, what's the, the key thing you think that Bardstown needs to do to keep that? 
I will say, I'm so glad we're talking about that article. That one took a lot out of me because I put a lot into it. And I'm it's probably the piece of spirits-related writing I'm most proud of. And it might stay that way because it is personal. Mm-hmm. And it was <clears throat> difficult for me in writing that and in drafting that to figure out how much of myself to put in there. And then I realized that I had to be nothing but honest with the reader. So I had to say, like, I start off that article like, hey, I grew up here. Right. Mm-hmm. I have to show my bias. I really don't want didn't want people to think to find out after the fact, like, wait, he's from Bardstown. He's going to be biased <clears throat> toward Bardstown. Mm-hmm. I am. I want I want Bardstown to grow and thrive. Like I have an interest in that. And I, I it was really freeing to talk to my editor and be like, oh, I can just let me just lead with that. Right. Mm-hmm. Let me just show my perspective and not be like a third party arm's length narrator here. Um, what does Bardstown need to do? Bardstown, you nailed it. It has to invest in best-in-class accommodations for people. Now, it's catching up. You know, five years ago, six years ago, if you people would ask me where to eat in Bardstown, and I was like, I don't know, go to my mom's house, ask her to make you something. <laughs> like, like yeah. I go to Hardee's for breakfast. You know, like there just weren't that many options. I love a Hardee's breakfast, by the way. I'm just mm-hmm. gonna show say that. Shout out to Hardee's. Um now we're seeing that catch up. You know, we're seeing there are f- great food experiences in restaurants at the distilleries. There are some great food experiences outside of the distilleries. Accommodations are still behind. Now there are some new hotels and inns going up. But yeah, if you're like a corporation and you want to take a group of folks down to Bardstown mm-hmm. for a bourbon experience, or you got or you're a bachelor party or a bachelorette party and you want to take 12 people down, like where do you stay? That's still the big question mark. And I think that part of the hesitation for that is it's really expensive. It's really expensive to build hotels. Like, right. Like I'm not going to do it. I don't know how to do that. I don't want to raise that capital, but I think Bardstown certainly needs that. Look, Bardstown's never going to have an international airport like Louisville, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's already a difficulty in getting people there because it's very difficult to fly directly to Bardstown. Like you can, if you fly on like a little three seater prop plane, right. Yep. People aren't doing that. At least most people aren't. So how do you overcome that inertia? You have to make accommodations worth it. I think that the distilleries are really doing a good job building experiences and building up more there. I think Heaven Hill opening their new facility, their new distillery there is going to be a real game changer because I think it just adds one more Hallmark major producer experience. And I think that's kind of needed, just like one more to get people to spend the night there instead of spending a day there. But then where do they spend the night? It's all about accommodations. Right. I think you nailed it. Yep. And it's, I mean, I feel like, and, and you, you may, you may have a different opinion, but I feel like uh, it all begins with Bardstown Burby company. And if they don't do what they do, then nobody else necessarily has to raise their, their game. But Bardstown puts in a, you know, effectively a, what I consider to be a, uh, one of the best kitchens in the state of Kentucky, right? Their restaurant is fantastic. Their, their experience is great. And now everybody's playing catch up. And so now it's, you know, h- how do we build an experience to match or beat? I have to give, I completely agree with you. I also do want to give a shout out to the bar at Willet, uh, which oh, yeah. opened not short, not too long thereafter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people don't realize that it was, it was not quite concurrent, but, but close <clears throat> because Willet, Great food, by the way. It's a small, it's yeah. a smaller environment, right? It's 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 like a much smaller setup, the the bar and kitchen at Willet. But their bar program, oh, sorry, uh, some sirens going off here in Brooklyn. Yeah. It happens. Apologies. No worries. Can't control that. 
I mean, if you could find a way to control it, you might be the richest man in New York. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be. Yeah, I'm not I'm not Mike Bloomberg, so. Right. Um, wow, they were just really. Uh, it's a very serious situation. Sounds like basically parked right outside there. Of course, this happens right in the middle of a great podcast. <laughs> So while you're waiting, um, are there you still? It's moving. It's moving. It's moving. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I do want to give a shout out to the bar Will it because it's great food and great hospitality, but it's a true bar program. Now they have that at Bardstown mm -hmm. Bourbon Company too. I want to be clear: you can get a great cocktail at Bardstown Bourbon Company. But what Willett did was, I think, create a cocked a full bar experience. Sure, you can pay three hundred bucks for a pour of some twenty-seven year old sourced Willett. Great, awesome. I've, I've, I've done that, maybe regret it the next day, but done that, had a great time, <laughs> eating great food. Mm -hmm. But their cocktail program is, I think, world-class. Like I, as a New Yorker, I go to a lot of high-end cocktail bars, right? Mm -hmm. I try and get into a lot of high-end cocktail bars where I can't get a reservation. But I go to a lot of cocktail bars that really style themselves as being among the best in the world. And then mm -hmm. I go to Willet, and I'm like, this is just as good, if not better, right? And to yeah. get that in, in Bargetown, Kentucky, is really something special. And I hope that more distilleries realize it's not enough just to have a bar that serves whiskey. If you really want to attract people and you really want to create a sticky, cool, good environment, you got to expand your bar program beyond just the neat pours, right? Mm -hmm. People want cocktails. People are, drinkers are smarter. They've been exposed to more. They want cocktails. They want that full mixology experience too. I don't want to drink, drink neat whiskey for three days straight, right? Uh, and I love neat whiskey more than the average person. So right. having that holistic program is something that I do want to give Willett some credit to, for. Yeah, I mean, and you made a, a really, 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 really good point there. Um, and I've always sort of viewed um, the bar at Willett is a fantastic cocktail program with really good food. And the the Bartown Bourbon Company's restaurant is a restaurant that has a bar program, yeah. right? Yeah. And so they're sort of positioned slightly differently, and they both have great. I mean, like the, the egg salad sandwich at oh. you know Willet is super phenomenal. It has its own Instagram page. Don't right? even get like me started. It's, on it's that. a real thing. Um, but that's not the only thing that's good there, and um, they're super accommodating. It is a very intimate feel. Whereas Barstown Bourbon Company feels very much like a, a really nice restaurant, and that's not a, it's not a denigration or anything like that. It's 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 fantastic, but it's a restaurant yeah. um, through and through. And um, I've got like tons more questions, and I know we're getting really really close on time, so I want to uh, kind of whittle a few down. Um, and it feels like you're 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 very keyed in on um, storytelling, uh, brand storytelling, um, telling your own story, whatever it happens to be. Um, as far as distilleries, do you think that they're, you know, who's doing it best and who's doing it worst? I mean, maybe you don't want to answer the second one, but who's doing the best version of storytelling about what they are? So I'm not necessarily going to say this is not necessarily the best because the more I think, the more I'll come up with ideas, right? right. I think Maker's Mark's doing a great job. Mm -hmm. And I think what they did with their recent seller age release, which is the first age dated maker's mark we've seen, is they have baked in the story of the brand to the story of that bottle. Mm -hmm. You know, why has why have we been around for 70 years and we hadn't released an age statement, an age dated whiskey yet? Well, that became part of the story, right? 
And I think they're doing a really fantastic job every time they release a new product, baking in the story and ethos of their brand. Right. And they're having mm -hmm. fun with it. They're like, oh, sorry, we're late to the game on HDA to whiskey. No, you guys have wanted for it for a while. We're finally doing it. But here's what it took. I think mm -hmm. they're doing a really great job as a, as a major producer. Um, I think a lot of brands are doing really fan, fantastic jobs. I think that when it comes to like, we're thinking Bardstown, I know Maker's Mark is in Loretto, not technically Bardstown. Right. But that's just one that pops to mind. I love how they position that bottle. And the story of that bottle is the story of the brand. Right. Mm -hmm. That that's. 11-year-old whiskey, but it's really 70 years of Maker's Mark history. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm a little bit of a Maker's Mark uh, fanboy as well. There's a whole bunch right here, and there is a seller aged as well, and it was one of the most anticipated things. Uh, I stumbled into a friend that works in the spirits industry in Louisville back in February, and he had um, somehow acquired an overmatured bottle of, of Maker's Mark, and they were floating around Louisville proper for a while. And I tasted it then, and then I was like, okay, if this is going to hit the marketplace, it's going to be phenomenal. And they've made a name for themselves by not, you know, of not changing drastically over the last, you know, 40 or 50 years. Um, but we've seen innovation from them without changing drastically. But I know they also have TTB approval on a wheat whiskey label yep. for 2024, which is uh, immediately on my radar of things that people should be paying attention to next year. Um, what is maybe the, the most exciting thing that's happening in whiskey for you? I think the craft scene is the most exciting thing. I think craft producers aren't afraid to push the boundary of flavor. And I think that craft producers are saying, Hey, even under these strict regulations, whether it be bourbon, whether it be the emerging regulations around American single malt, whether it be rye, they're having a lot of fun and they're really pushing the boundaries. They're saying, look, we have these like bumper lanes we have to operate within, but we can really do a lot within those. And I think you're seeing that actually trickle up to the major producers, which are playing catch up on innovation, flavor profiles, things like that. You can do a lot with a 51% corn mash bill requirement, right? Mm -hmm. And I think craft producers are showing a lot of that. I'm really lucky. I live in Brooklyn, New York. I live not even two miles from Kings County Distillery, which I love, right? Uh, shout out to the folks over there. I'm pretty close with some of them. Uh, it's bourbon, it's bourbon, but it's bourbon unlike anything you'll get in Kentucky, right? And they're still mm -hmm. experimenting, and I love that. Yeah, and then their participation in Empire Rye as well. I uh, had the opportunity to have a craft craft whiskey panel um, with David from Whiskey My Wedding Ring back in January, and Kings County was a part of it as well, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think craft is it, and you went to the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. That's where all the people were. Right? All the people yeah. were in the craft portion. Not, not to say that they weren't paying attention to the heritage, heritage of distillers, but there was a lot of innovation in that um, in that particular area. And I know, I think you're tied on time, so it's probably um, time for us to wrap this up. Where can people find you? Um, what should they be paying attention to? And are we going to see David? as a consultant to spirits brands, helping them tell their stories better. Well, I appreciate it, John. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, I'm, I'm not the most active on social, but getting better, getting better. Um, I'm a lot, I'm following a lot of people's advice. I'm on Instagram at David Thomas Tao. I'm on Twitter at D underscore Tao, D underscore T A O. Well, formerly Twitter now X. Um, yeah. uh, you know, I, I I don't know where you're going to see me uh, next, but I'm still doing a lot of writing and, and reviewing um, and, and trying to stay prolific on those ends. I love hearing from people. Um, and, you know, I'm in a very different place in life than I thought I would be a year ago. And that's all a very good thing. And, and I'm excited to see, um, 
you know, how saying yes to stuff uh, continues. And then honestly, the best part of this, like I said, is getting to connect with people like you, John, um, because people beget opportunity and getting the chance to come and talk to you about a little bit about my story and about whiskey and about everything in between and about Bardstown. It's something I never thought I'd have the opportunity to do. So I'm very, very thankful for it. And I hope I get to continue doing a lot of this, no matter where life takes me. Thanks for tuning in to this offering from the Embellished Podcast. We had a really great conversation with David, and I know there's at least a dozen more questions that I want to ask him, so hopefully we'll have him back on here in the very near future. If you enjoyed this, please leave me a review on whatever platform that you have to be consuming this on. Leave me a comment if possible. Hit me up on social media at TikTok or Instagram using EmbellishPod and give me a follow so you can keep up with what's going on here. I can be found at www.embellishpod.com with all of my links, accounts, contact details, and more. Thanks again for stopping by.